0: This podcast is hosted by Dr. Happimon Jacob. Dr. Jacob is an Associate Professor of Security Studies at Jawaharlal Nehru University, New Delhi. His weekly column on India's national security and foreign policy issues is published by The Hindu. He is also the author of two new books on India-Pakistan border, Line on Fire by Oxford University Press and Line of Control by Penguin India. Hello and welcome to the National Security Conversation. India's external affairs minister Sushma Swaraj attended the inaugural plenary of the foreign minister's conclave of the Organization of Islamic Cooperation or OIC as the guest of honor last month. As a direct fallout of that, Pakistan boycotted the meeting and its foreign minister did not attend the uh, foreign minister's conclave. How significant is this development? So in this episode, we will discuss the importance of India's invitation as a guest of honor to the OIC. We will also discuss the emerging geopolitical situation in Afghanistan and its implications for India's national security. To do so, I have with me in the studio Ambassador Vivek Karju. Vivek Karju was India's ambassador to Afghanistan, Thailand, and Myanmar. He is today a prolific writer and one of the most well-known and sought-after commentators on strategic issues. Ambassador Karju, welcome to the National Security Conversation. Ambassador Cantrell, let me begin uh, with this question about uh, Soshima Saraj's attendance at the OIRC as a guest of honor. It's sort of hailed as a major success in India, a major diplomatic success as it were. If so, why? You seem to make this argument in a recent piece that you wrote for the Asia Times, saying that this is a historic achievement and
1: development. How do you see this? I think it's truly a historic development. I don't look at foreign policy in terms of success and failure, but as a process in where there are milestones, and this is a historic milestone. And for the, to put it in perspective, we've got to go back fifty years. In 1969, the Al-Aqsa Mosque, the third holiest place in Islam, was uh, the object of an arson attack, and uh, the Arab world and the Islamic world erupted in fury. Consequently, a summit was summoned of Islamic countries in Rabat. The inaugural session was attended by our ambassador in Rabat, Mr. Gurbachan Singh, and he has recorded this as part of oral history. And Gurbachan Singh has recorded that he was he attended it as a member of the diplomatic corps. The next morning, that is September 23rd, he was asked to meet the Foreign Minister of Morocco urgently. He met him and was told that the conference by consensus, which included Pakistan, and Pakistan was represented by General Yahya Khan, who was President, so the conference by consensus on a proposal mooted by King Faisal of Saudi Arabia and seconded by the Moroccan monarch had decided to extend an invitation to India to attend the conference as a member of the conference, that means a full governmental participation. And till the arrival of a dele- an official delegation from India urgently, uh, the foreign minister of Morocco suggested that Mr. Gurbachan Singh could occupy the Indian seat. He sought approvals from Delhi and the approval was forthcoming. So, on the 23rd afternoon, he attended the plenary and made a statement in the plenary informing them that an Indian delegation was to arrive. Now, on the 24th morning, Gurbachan Singh was told not to come, but it was said in an oblique way. In any case, The Indian delegation led by Mr. Fakhruddin Ali Ahmed was arriving in the afternoon. What happened was that General Yahya Khan locked himself up in his suite, in his villa. He refused to meet anyone In in Rabat, including presidents and kings who went to meet him. He took the line that India should, there should be no official representation from India. Consequently, when the delegation arrived and the misery of, of the king met him, met Mr. Fakhruddin Ali Ahmed and requested that India should attend as an observer, he refused and then there were suggestions to downgrade Indian representation at Pakistan's insistence, he refused all that. And behind his back and behind the Indian delegation's back, the meeting concluded. And in the communique which issued, they had the temerity to write that not that the government of India was represented when they were there on the basis of a unanimous invitation, but that the Indian Muslim community was represented. Now, if you go through the literature of 1969, there was a furore in India. The government was on the mat, I mean India erupted in fury at this insult, there is no other word for it. Right. So now you see, there is a historic wrong, When I have s- written in that article, years, a historic wrong has been corrected. And what is the difference, and that is the moral of this, where is it? in 1969, and this meeting incidentally led to the formation of the OIC, this Rabat meeting led to, directly led to the formation of the OIC. So, OIC and India's relations were messed up right from the beginning because of Pakistan. This time around, you see the difference in international stature of India and Pakistan.
0: I, I I understand the point, but uh, Ambassador Karju, let me ask you this question: um, What explains this invitation at this point of time to the OIC? Uh, what what sort of what is the rationale of the uh, parties who invited India at this point of time? What, what I mean, as as a former diplomat, as a, as a strategic analyst, how do you explain this? I'll,
1: I'll I'll tell you a few reasons for this. First of all, it's an Abu Dhabi initiative. Uh, the Abu Dhabi has evolved and Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed the crown prince uh, is a very far-seeing man but he's not alone it also shows the dynamic within uh, this arab peninsula societies mm-hmm. they were cut off from everything especially the najd but now there's an opening up and that can be seen in a few things one the Crown Prince of Abu Dhabi gave land uh, for a temple and a gurudwara, etc., which is a very, very significant development. Uh, Then, he had the Pope, invited the Pope, and the Pope conducted, recently, and the Pope conducted a Mass in the Abu Dhabi Stadium which was attended by members of the Royal Family. So, that shows a certain evolution in their society, which is, he is spearheading it. Uh, But, I am sure that he he has the tacit support of a large group, not only within his own country, but within Arab Peninsula uh, as a whole. The second thing is India's stature. I think we in India do not recognize this. The world looks upon us differently there is a, a weight of a growing economy, there is a recognition that in Asia, if Pakistan is now, uh, how should I put it, in compared to India is is relegated to the sidelines, but within Asia it is India and China and the third economy is Japan, so if one looks at it, it is this triangle. There is also the recognition that uh, the Indian market in future will be of critical significance to the Gulf. And of course, I think in these societies, there is a desire that, they, they sh- that the connection with the Indian Muslim population should not be severed as it has been.
0: That's that's a very interesting set of reasons. Ambassador Karju, I do not want to um, undermine the importance of the historic um, um, uh, Indeed, you in th- can't. I mean, it, it cannot be. But I, I, you know, I looked at the um, resolutions that came out of the forty-fifth session of the Council of Foreign Ministers of the OIC, and I was sort of distraught by some of the language used by them, um, expressing deep concern at atrocities and human rights violations being committed by the Indian occupation forces in Indian Occupied Jammu and Kashmir, um, uh, strongly condemning the intensified Indian barbarity since July two thousand and sixteen. Expressing deep shock at the killings be perpetrated by the Indian forces, um, uh, d- deplores the brutal sexual assault against an eight-year-old, strongly condemning, condemning unprovoked firing by the Indian forces on the line of control, etc. There is no talk about Pakistan firing at India on the line of control. There is no talk about terrorism. There is no talk about uh, Pakistan occupied Kashmir. It is AJK for them. It is POK um, as opposed to AJK. Look, what uh, explains
1: this? I'll tell you. Uh, The OIC has been the happy hunting ground of Pakistan, they are able to introduce any language that they want, the secretariat in Jeddah Jeddah, I think is completely in their pocket. So if you see past resolutions, they are the same.
0: But this is not general. this is a very specific set of. But
1: the past resolutions are identical, for the last 25 years they have been using somewhat similar language. I would not be surprised if this time the language is a little more harsh. If, now, second, the, what I have been told by people who have been part of this this resolution making in the OIC is that uh, all countries introduce resolutions as they want and no one argues with them. If someone later has a reservation, he might put in a reservation, so it is like a, omnibus kind of a thing that everyone has his own way. That is the nature of the organ.
0: Then India should have got somebody to introduce a few resolutions of its own. I think,
1: I think there no one argues with each other when it comes to these things. Third, in the past as indeed now, we've dismissed these resolutions with the contempt they deserve. Next, please see the language of the Abu Dhabi communique that is at variance with these resolutions. Last, normally the OIC contact group on Kashmir meets on the sidelines of the OIC meeting in the same city. Mm. This time around, it is very interesting that they did not meet in Abu Dhabi, perhaps they were not allowed to, so they met in at the Secretariat. I for one am not phased at all by this, it has happened. In the past, it happened this time, it it will happen again. It does not rob, these resolutions do not rob the significance of this event. I'll tell you why. Because the very fact that the Indian foreign minister, a lady, was there representing India and making a most remarkable speech. It's a brilliant speech. It's an absolutely brilliant speech. It's very evocative. Telling them of what India truly is and what we represent was in itself the message which will reverberate in Islamic countries. And then here was Pakistan acting like a petulant child like they had acted 50 years ago. On that occasion, we were out of the room. On this occasion, what was the most eloquent scene of that inaugural ceremony?
0: Sushma speech.
1: And a vacant Pakistani chair. So, what was it? These members there of the OIC, of the Islamic countries, they said, You may. Say, and when did this happen? You see the context? After Pulwama? Yeah. After our strike? So, what did, what were they conveying to Pakistan? Yes, you may have your your reservations but we will not abide by you india is india
0: but those images are as powerful as the resolutions why go to a conference where you know the resolutions at the end of the day will humiliate you unless and until they you are not can unless and until one second, unless and until you can influence some other member in that organization Look, and put in a word you have to here.
1: have a long term vision diplomacy is not t20 i think that's a good point. it's not even one day It's a test series and perhaps many test series. Please explain that. No, that is the way how the diplomatic process works. You mean look ahead, this is an opening. So This is an opening, you've seized that opening, you've conveyed to people, you have watered down the Abu Dhabi communique, you've made your point. So that is the And way Pakistan to, was on back foot. That's not Pakistan no about wasn't there. Yeah. Back foot. I mean, in <laughs>
0: Pakistan itself, the ministry well, was okay. making. Yes, I
1: mean, you see, you yeah. see, there was a floor. They said, this is our captive organization and the Indians that are there. Where are you? So look at it in this perspective. Don't look at the, these resolutions. Come and go as a diplomat. Do you think?
0: Ambassador Kalju, let me draw your attention to another favorite theme of yours, which is Afghanistan. Uh, what is your opinion? Um, what, what in your opinion are the implications of what is happening in Afghanistan? The mainstreaming of Taliban. India recently t- sent two um, um, non-official observers at the Moscow conference, where you also had uh, Taliban members present. So, how do you, how do you see these sort of developments in Afghanistan, and what implications do they have for India's national security?
1: I think a meal is being cooked in Afghanistan. And it is being cooked between the Americans, uh, the Taliban, and behind the Taliban is Pakistan. And the rest of the parties will be asked to eat that meal. Uh, not very clear whether they will relish it, whether they will look at the table and refrain from supping at that table, or whether they will willingly have to swallow it. I think these are things which are still imponderable. The principal objectives of the Taliban backed by Pakistan and the Americans seem to have concluded. Right. The American principal objective always was that Afghanistan should not become a base for international terrorism. The Taliban, they never considered as internationally oriented. If you see the history of American Taliban, America Taliban relations, they thought they were, in Robin Raffles' remarkable words, which I think I quoted in one of my previous conversations with you, it was an authentic Taliban group, etc. So that was their view in the Taliban. It was the Taliban plus Al Qaeda which was a problem. So they've secured a guarantee that the Taliban won't allow. Uh, the Al-Qaeda or other international Islamist groups to function from there. Second, the Taliban want the American forces to leave and apparently some kind of sequencing within a certain time frame has been agreed. Now the problem arises is how to sell all this and what will be the nature of the new government. There, I think, there are problems. Yeah. Ghani is not too happy about it, of course. Ghani naturally won't be happy. The Americans are saying ultimately there will have to be a dialogue between the Taliban and the administration. But earlier, whereas they only said the, the government, the administration, now they are saying uh, a phalange of parties, Afghan parties, all inclusive, in which I suppose the government will be also there. So, does this take back? Does this take us back to the bond situation in two thousand and one, mm-hmm. December mm-hmm. Uh, or November? Where do we stand? We don't know as yet. Uh, next, the Taliban are continuing with their violence. Will there be a ceasefire? Uh, we are already in March. Spring is the time for their traditional offensive to begin. What will happen then? So I think there are these question marks, and we'll have to wait and watch. My last thought all is that uh, are the Taliban capable, despite everything, of power sharing? And what will be the nature of the constitution? We don't even know that. Uh, I think the government wants the present republican constitution, Islamic Republic constitution. They are Islamic Emirate, and these are. Uh, now almost code words for very different things. Ambassador Garju, you, you
0: mentioned Pakistan being behind the Taliban. Uh, so does that then mean that Pakistan has basically weighted the Americans and others out? They have won the um, uh, grand strategic game in Afghanistan via the Taliban. Is, is, would that be the implication of what you, what
1: you just said? The Americans have been in Afghanistan uh, for more than 17 years now. And they are tired. They really are tired. They did everything possible in Afghanistan. Lost two thousand five hundred boys and and ladies. Combat right. losses are, are, fatalities are around two thousand five hundred. But they never went to the source of the problem, which lay across the Durand in Pakistan. Not even after all the chest thumping of President Trump on the 21st of August 2017 when he announced his Afghanistan and South Asia policy, not despite all the tweeting that he had done. So obviously, there have been major gains for the Pakistanis, strategic gains, and I look at it plainly that the Americans are in strategic retreat and they are trying to clothe the strategic defeat. Uh, in good words, except that if the American aim is defined as not allowing Afghan territory to be used uh, against them, then it can be said that, yes, they have succeeded in their principal aim, as I said, but if that was the only aim, then they did not need to go through these seventeen years of, they could have managed otherwise. There were other old ways of accomplishing that particular objective. So, whenever you try to uh, marry disparate objectives, contradictory objectives, you land in trouble. What emerges from this, at least to to
0: my mind, um, is that Pakistan has somehow received a shot in the arm and therefore, they are going to play a big role in the geopolitical scheme of things. The Americans, of course, are withdrawing at this point of time, but it is, uh, it won't be too long before the Americans are back to courting Pakistanis again, because they want to want to achieve certain things in Afghanistan. The Russians are closing up to uh, the Pakistanis, China is already in the game in, 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 in Afghanistan. So far from being isolated, this is a shot in the arm for the for the Pakistanis, they're back in the game. Uh, are they not going to be in the driving seat of the geopolitical
1: scheme of things? No. Vis-a-vis India, never. Because I think the world's stakes in India, strategic states, economic states, are far more than Pakistan. But dip- as a diplomat, I don't understand this word isolation. I try to analyze what does it mean. To me. Isolation, if it is defined as profiling Pakistan's involvement in terror and making the world understand the dangers that emanate to international peace and security because of Pakistani terror, then it makes sense. Clearly, isolation doesn't mean for a country like Pakistan, which has nuclear weapons, and it cannot mean that uh, no one will have relations with it. But yes, if you say isolation, it is a dramatic word. But if you say isolation means that they will have pressure from in the FATF. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If you mean isolation that in the under the 1273 resolution they with which they played if you permit the word footsie for far too long, they will not be allowed to do so anymore. And that Indian diplomacy will be aggressive as it should be and as it is, in some cases, then it's a valid thing. But I think isolation—the word isolation—is used more colloquially, and to that extent, as as a part of a electoral political discourse, fine. Ambassador, you've
0: been India's ambassador to Afghanistan. You've interacted with the Taliban. On many
1: occasions. I do not, not want no, to. No, 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 not the Taliban. Not as India's ambassador, we never had anything to do with the Taliban. We were, I was there with, uh, I was, let, 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 let's be very clear, happy about facts. India never recognized the Taliban, That's point right. one. That's right. Two, even when they were in Kabul, the international community recognized only President Rabbani's government
0: w- weren't you part of the negotiating team during the no, no, I, just just hear me
1: out so that is that was the legitimate government only three governments recognized the Taliban Pakistan UAE and Saudi Arabia when i went to afghanistan i was accredited to the government of afghanistan initially which was interim then it was transitional and then it was an elected government under the afghanistan under the present constitution of Afghanistan. Now it is a separate matter that I have advocated over the last few years that we should have no reluctance in talking to the Taliban. But talking to the Taliban does not mean endorsing what they are doing. It just means that while if the whole world is talking to them that you should be part of the diplomatic game and talking to them.
0: What I am trying to understand is that… Yes, and I was
1: part of that negotiating team. Right. But uh, the Kandahar negotiating team and I don't talk about official matters, and I will not now. That's fine. Also, but that didn't mean that uh, that we recognise the Taliban. No, it's not, it's
0: not about recognition. i I'm trying to get at something else, which is um, having known the Taliban for whatever it is worth. Do you think the Taliban is capable of transformation? No, I don't
1: know the Taliban. I, I've read about them, but I've had no personal experience. Right, but
0: you've been ambassador in Afghanistan. So from whatever sources, you know what the Taliban is like. Do you think they're capable of transforming? I have impressions about them. Fine, going by those impressions about Taliban. Do you think they're capable of transformation? Are they, in other words, are they good Taliban and bad Taliban?
1: There's no good Taliban and bad Taliban. Let, uh, uh, are they capable of, of uh, transforming, change? Uh, I raised that issue earlier in our conversation that will they adapt, are they capable of power sharing. As long as Mullah Umar was there, I was reasonably certain that they will not evolve. Now he is not there, though Mullah Hebatullah is, is supposedly a very hardliner when it comes to theological issues. Uh, there is a hard theological core in the Taliban which some Afghan leaders always mentioned to me was contrary to the Islamic traditions of Afghanistan or Afghan Islam. Uh, will they change? I don't know. The next issue is socially. Uh, they are rigid. Afghanistan has evolved. How will this adjustment take place? One doesn't know. Finally. On the question of ethnic minorities, you know, Pashtun, non pashtuns the Taliban in the past were very harsh on the Shia, on the Shia Hazara. Mm-hmm. Now they are, they are, especially one reads uh, uh, Abbas Tanigzai's comments, one gets the feeling that they're becoming more savvy. And Abbas Tanakzai, who, who led the uh, the Doha. team, till recently, till Baradar, and as you know perhaps that uh, he's a... Uh, graduate of the Indian Military Academy in Dehradun. Uh, So, Abbas Tanikzai was was singing a more Catholic tune. But we really get to know what they are once we see them actually act at the time when the time, if and when the time comes.
0: A lot of people are courting the Taliban today, the international community. The United States, the Russians, the Chinese, should India follow suit, should India reach out to the Taliban or should we continue with our puritanical understanding of, maybe I am overstating my point, but puritanical understanding of what Taliban is and therefore as, we will not… As a
1: general rule, academics, I think, overstate and and you, and you are a good academic. Uh, I think diplomats steer a more, more middle of the course line because uh, they are in the negotiating business. Uh, I'm, I don't think India should court anyone. You don't need to court. A big power like India doesn't court. Yes, you maintain contacts. And that doesn't mean endorsement or... If Taliban is going to come back to the scheme
0: of things in in Afghanistan, do you uh, think it is necessary during, to during, during, the, Let, let contacts? me
1: take you back in history. Uh, India was closely associated in many eyes... Uh, with uh, the communist governments in Afghanistan, Mm -hmm. till 89, till 92, India's India's support for President Najibullah's government was firm. But there were parties in Afghanistan who who always recognized India's position and role in the region. And how long did these parties take to approach India to establish a good relationship? So, so
0: coming back to now, do you think Indian government should have more than mere contacts with
1: the Taliban? I think we should have contacts. We can calibrate the intensity of those contacts, keeping in mind overall the overall context and the situation.
0: I can't let you go without asking a question about Pakistan. after the Balakot strikes, which came in the wake of the Pulwama terror attacks, do you think there is going to be a metanoia, metanoia in Pakistan, a change of heart as far as terrorism is concerned? Do you think the terror infrastructure in Pakistan as it were, would the Imran Khan government will sort of try and abolish that and come clean in front of the international community?
1: I... Till now, the nuclear escalation doctrine of Pakistan. Uh, was premised on our reaction to a terrorist provocation. And the threshold of escalation began with our reaction. I think the think that Bala court is now putting forward the idea that provocation itself is the first on the ladder of escalation it begins with it begins not with the response it begins with the provocation it is an interesting point and therefore i think doctrinally even though they had to preserve their doctrine reacted on the 20 on the 27th but doctrinally i think now there is a fundamental difference and therefore i i suspect there will be far greater international pressure on the Pakistanis. I will just add one thing, till now the pressure was on us, That do not respond kinetically, it is dangerous. Now that we have done so, the pressure will be on them, do not provoke, because India will respond kinetically. This time you had, you could get away after your response, the next time you might You will begin a spiral which can have dangerous consequences and the onus of stopping this spiral is on you, will be on Pakistan because they began it. So doctrinally to someone who is an expert in the field do factor in these thoughts. I think we are at the cusp of a doctrinal change and what we have been debating this for what 25 years within our strategic community. But having taken the step the way the international community has reacted has validated the point that some people had felt all along that you take kinetic action through your conventional forces and they will perforce have to be doctrinal changes on this nuclear escalation front.
0: This is a very interesting line of thinking and I am sort of reminded of the phrase that the Indian side used in the wake of the um, 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 air attack in Balakot, uh, non-military preemptive strike. So, the preemptive strike, how do you sort of view that in the context of what you just said? It is preemptive.
1: They Are said, no, 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 If you read the full text of the statement, it was pre-en- preemptive in the sense it, it was preempting other terrorist strikes. It did not say anything Correct. Correct. about a response to Pulwama, Correct. so it was very carefully, you know, carefully phrased, and I, I and I do think it was very well phrased that particular statement. So does that mean because it gave the Pakistanis a way out, which if you see Imran Khan's statement to his parliament on National Assembly on on uh, uh, 28 February. It gave them an escape route which they were contemplating till they realized there will be too much of a public reaction, it is all in black and white and his speech itself. And that is what initially they were sensing their way around and then among them I think there were people who said you have to preserve your doctrine and therefore there has to be this large strike.
0: But what is the implication of saying a preemptive strike, you mean…
1: Preemptive too, please it says pre it was preempting other terrorist strikes i understand in so India. It, it then that means. we have information that terrorists are about to strike the pakistanis are doing nothing to prevent it prevent strike stroke strikes so we are acting initially and we are targeting only terrorist uh, infrastructure we are not targeting the pakistan state that is the point that was being made
0: so going by that logic by in that future
1: in future if uh, India we have advanced one step further that the provocation begins not with a strike, but it begins with preparations for a strike. So it only advances my point, which is that the international community will might tell Pakistan, boys, you had your fun in games for over two decades because the Indians were holding back. Now the Indians are hitting back not only on a pro- actual provocation, but they are saying if we if we have to pre- preempt a major strike, we will strike you strike that facility. So, doctrinally do factor this in happy and perhaps once, once you've fleshed it out, we can have another discussion.
0: Whether or not the Pakistanis respond to that…
1: No, even if yeah. they don't, I think the international community will take… Uh, take no, no I am saying this.
0: if India preems a… a, a prepar- no, even
1: if they do, the onus will be on them now. You see, till now the onus was on us, that don't do anything, don't take kinetic action, be good boys, you are very responsible. Now the world is saying, and mind you, this was a question they used to ask. When will Indian patients run out? So everyone has said, look, the Indians are justified here. Yeah. How long will they take this?
0: Ambassador Karju, wonderful talking to you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you like this podcast, please rate and follow us. For regular updates, you can also follow our Twitter handle, N S C with H J. Or our Facebook page National Security Conversations with Happy Mon Jacob.